Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from WCS's field sites, zoos and aquarium, and their conservation partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. Thirteen of the world's leading nature conservation organizations launched an ambitious new Key Biodiversity Areas Partnership in 2016 to identify sites that are important for the persistence of biodiversity. With the 15th Conference of Parties to the Convention on Biological Diversity taking place in Montreal, WCS Wild Audio checked in with Peter Chaurier of WCS Canada to learn how the initiative is going in his country. Nat Moss has the story. Species on Earth face multiple global challenges today. From the accelerating impact of climate change to the wide-scale destruction of nature and its ecosystems by people. If we want to protect species and their habitats, we need to better understand both what we have and what we are losing according to agreed-upon scientific criteria. That's the premise behind Key Biodiversity Areas, or KBAs, says Peter Chaurier. The idea of the KBAs is that they're a way of identifying important areas for nature across the planet. This was something we've been able to do for a long time, but what we found or what people found in the past was that there were a lot of different ways to identify these important areas for nature. So there were biodiversity hotspots, there are important bird and biodiversity areas, prime butterfly areas, you know, dozens, literally dozens of different types of designations and ways to recognize those important places. Peter is the KBA Assessment and Outreach Coordinator for WCS Canada. He says before the KBA program launched, Policymakers and businesses and even conservationists were just getting lost trying to figure out how to measure it all. Finally, the UN stepped in. The United Nations brought together a task force and a working group to help identify these important places for nature that would synthesize all the things that we care about in terms of biodiversity, or a lot of them, and give us a single tool that would help us to figure out what are the really critical places that we need to save across the planet. Unlike some assessments, the KBA designation confers no specific protected status, And that's by intention, says Peter. So the KBAs are really just information. It's a way for us to highlight and recognize where important areas for the persistence of biodiversity are. It doesn't come with any management implications. It doesn't come with automatic protections or change the way people use or access land. It's more of an agnostic information tool, and it's one that we can use for a really broad range of things at the end of the day to inform different actions, to inform land use planning, to feed into proposals for Uh, stewardship actions or indigenous guardian programs and other things. But on its own, it's just information. And so it's really flexible. In Canada, where Peter works, that objectivity can be of great importance to indigenous First Nation groups who wish to secure natural areas that have enormous cultural and ecological importance. Protection can happen in many ways and not always through federally protected areas or provincially protected areas. In Canada, one thing we're seeing, which is amazing and growing more and more, is indigenous protected and conserved areas. And so these are uh, a form of protected area that is much different than the traditional one and really gives Indigenous peoples and communities all the rights and responsibilities of continuing to steward their land. And so in that case, it's nice to have the KBAs as just a source of information. Canada has one of the most advanced KBA national efforts. Peter says the KBA Canada program has collected an extraordinary amount of data in a collaborative process that involves many different knowledge holders, stakeholders, and Indigenous communities and experts. There's well over 10 million observations, different biodiversity records and range maps and other things that our coordinators are able to use to identify and scope out these areas. The network of experts as well, at this point, there's probably around a thousand have been involved with the program. 
One exciting feature of collecting so much data is that it's available to researchers and others. You know, on our website, kbacanada.org, we have uh, already all of the KBAs that are accepted to date. Um, all of the information on them is public already. People can download those boundaries, understand where the sites are, can use them in their, you know, their own research, the information on the species within them. The idea is that, you know, at the end of the day, it will be a really incredible resource for understanding where biodiversity is across Canada um, and where those sites are that, that are going to be really important to protect in some way or another across the country. This week in Montreal, as Canada hosts environmental ministers from around the globe, the country's KBAs have a featured place. In Canada, our government is working towards protecting 30% of lands and waters by 2030, and KBAs won't all automatically be protected, but they will be one of the pieces of information that helps to highlight what areas should be protected. While the outcome of the Biodiversity Conference remains unclear, Peter's work provides an important source of hope and optimism. You know, so often in when we're working in conservation, it's easy to get bogged down on things that we're losing. And KBAs are about what's left and in a lot of cases, what's going well. And so that's been just incredibly cool is seeing the places holding on because of the work people are doing there, because of, you know, the incredible tenacity of these species or ecosystems that are in those spots. Now that we have this publicly available website and some of the data and information is out there. It's been so fun going through it and reading about some of these incredible places and, you know, just drawing inspiration from that. It has been a really cool outcome so far. For WCS Wild Audio, this is Nat Moss. Today's episode was produced and reported by Nat Moss, with help from Hannah Kaplan and Dan Rosen. The WCS Wild Audio podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Please join us next week for a new episode, and don't forget to rate or review the show wherever you get your podcasts.